Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I've got a friend of mine um, is a beautician. She runs her own clinic, and she frequently has to turn away um, teenagers, like young young girls, you know, kind of 13, 14, um, um, because they've come because they want to be fully waxed, because they're saying it's not natural, and they don't want to do um, about it, and they're very distressed. And she has to kind of take them aside and kind of explain that actually, you know, pubic hair is normal and it's okay. And then they're kind of saying, well, no, boys want to want to sleep with me, and it's kind of part of a much more complex kind of sociocultural. Um, situation. Absolutely. So I kind of wanted in a very small way to kind of be like sort of celebrating people's bodies. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast with me Dr. Rupi where we discuss the most important topics and concepts in the medicinal qualities of food and lifestyle. And today we're talking about the importance of teaching children about health with Dr. Max Pemberton. Now he's written a children's body, mind and anatomy guide for children. It, it's absolutely amazing and it's beautifully illustrated. Dr. Max, if you don't know, is a writer, mental health doctor and journalist. He's written three books including one one that I read when I was a junior doctor called Trust Me, I'm a Junior Doctor. I read this about 10 years ago when I uh, started working at Baston Hospital um, and it was amazing. It really, really did resonate with me at the time, obviously. In his second book, Where Does It Hurt? He details his experiences of working in an outreach project for the homeless and people addicted to drugs. Now, this new book explores the idea of children being aware of looking after themselves through food and nutrition. So obviously something after my own heart and understanding the human body and how parents can facilitate that growth today we chat about his experiences of transitioning from adult to children's literary projects he's working eating disorders why health messages particularly over social media are important to convey and the messages to convey to children but also how that inadvertently teaches parents as well i cooked a taco recipe for dr max and you can check that out on youtube and you can find all of this information at more at the doctor's kitchen. You can find all of this information and more at thedoctorskitchen.com. Subscribe to the newsletter for weekly science-based recipes and listen to the end of the pod for a summary of our discussion. On to the pod. Tell me about your cooking habits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so embarrassed about this God, stuff. God. I just thought I'd come and you just make me food and then that'd be it. We would not talk about food. I don't know why I thought that. I'm not going to interrogate you, don't worry. No, uh, no judgment. So, no judgment. So, um, so my cooking habits, I would say, are probably not very good. Okay. In that, in that I don't really do cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've got a microwave and I've been quite adept. Well, I say quite adept. I'm not even very adept at the microwave, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is, I think it's because I I love raw vegetables. Uh-huh. So every evening, um, I I go back and I always go shopping, buy loads and loads and loads of vegetables, uh-huh. chop it all up, 
Okay. And then I just sit there with a massive bowl, and while I'm kind of writing, I yeah. just sort of sit there. And rather than sort of eating junky food or anything, yeah, yeah. I just eat the vegetables, and I probably eat maybe eight, ten portions of vegetables. Okay. So cool. like in a day. Okay. Um, and then. Wow, that's a lot of veg, mate. You're yeah. doing really <laughs> well. Takes right? me all evening. I'll yeah, just sit there. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you have like three peppers and like yeah, yeah, you know yeah. loads of celery and yeah. broccoli and this kind of stuff, and I really like that. It's really nice. Uh-huh. Um, and then I tend to be very, very boring, so I'll eat just the same. Thing okay. repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I really like jack of potato and cheese. Okay. Yeah. Good. Which yeah. and then I microwave the jack of potato. Free. <laughs> so they're frozen. Yeah, they're really yeah, good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm selling you jack of potato. <laughs> no, the thing is, I did a whole feature on new potatoes a few weeks right. ago, just to show people actually, you know, potatoes are very nutrient dense. Yes, yeah. they're amazing. They're like they're yeah. like the dietitians at work always talk about them being a whole food. Yeah. Because basically, you can pretty much kind of just live on just potatoes if you really need yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, a lot of societies have based their yeah. eating habits on potatoes. Yeah. You look at the Aztecs, you look at people in uh, South America, and you know, you grow tubers everywhere. Yeah. So they're very whole foods. So. Yeah, and I eat a lot of chicken breasts as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and I've worked out how to do that. Okay. Okay. Actually, you know that honestly, that was quite a big thing because yeah, I worked yeah. out, actually chicken's much harder. You imagine it's really yeah, easy. It's actually yeah. really hard to get it to cook. To cover it, tastes a bit like rubbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or then it's like raw in a pan. It makes you really ill. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where you need to use your oven actually, the one that hasn't been opened, because right. if you put chicken in oven, all you need to do is make sure the temperature is on the correct temperature. Which is what? Which is depends on what you're cooking. So if you're cooking chicken thighs, so it's be breast, always breast, always breast. Always breast. So I'd go 180 degrees centigrade if it's fan assist. Or okay. 200, it's not fan assisted. Okay. Yours, pro- yours probably is fan assisted because okay. it sounds like a nice shiny new yeah, one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, so. And you whack it in there for about 25 to 30 minutes and just check if the uh, juices run clear. Right. And then you're good to go. But put a marinade on your chicken so you can buy them pre-made from the supermarket. Okay. You look really confused. Come on. You just marinade. go to the marinade section. Okay. Two things, marinade yeah. section and then chicken breast section. Yeah. Put those together. <laughs> Baking tray, oven, 25 minutes. Okay. And that'll be and you bring them out and then you're good to go. Okay, cool. I should probably do that. Although <laughs> okay. now I sell my flat and I'm gonna keep my oven nice and yeah. like never use. <laughs> yeah. so. A brand new kitchen. <laughs> good charge an extra of that. Okay, right, so before we get into uh, what you're here to, for today with your amazing new book that I'm really excited to, to talk about, um, I'm gonna be cooking you something. So okay. you can just sit there, chill, this relax. Hopefully you like it. I know you don't eat, um, you, don't, you don't like, Chili food. Is that yeah, correct? I'm just. I've got not a very sophisticated palate. No, 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 <laughs> my no, jacket no, potato no. and cheese. No, 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 that's absolutely fine. So I'm going to be cooking you some tacos. Um, okay. So very simple food. Uh, we've got whole grain uh, tacos here. This is actually blue corn, which I, I I just think it looks wonderful. I mean, the smell is delicious as well. Mm. Um, you can get white corn taco, absolutely fine. You can just whole grain wraps as well. Where do you get those from? Just anywhere. This you you can actually buy these online. These are really oh. nice. Um, uh, supermarkets are getting them in a bit more often now because you know the whole gluten-free trend and these right. are completely gluten-free as well so um you'll see them in supermarkets or you can buy them online um or you can just use the normal whole grain wraps you can okay. buy as well absolutely fine we've got some lamb's lettuce here just fresh yep. lamb's lettuce we've got some pinto beans that came from a can drained and then rinsed and that's it so they're already cooked got some baby tomatoes some corn that you can get from supermarkets this is actually grown in the uk as well so down lincolnshire wow. i think it is so we're just going to use that uh, for a little bit of salad got some avocado some red onion and some of this cooking sauce it's tomatillo that you get from uh mexico you can buy any sort of you know cooking sauce from okay. supermarkets I'm going to get you to try this before I put it in the food because okay. it does have jalapenos it, 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 in. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, just a tiny bit on, the, on the teaspoon. Yeah, yeah, cool. Let's just see. 
Alright, just try okay. a little bit of that. And if it is too hot, we could do something else. It's a very mild sauce. It's actually totally fine. Is it all right? I was just like preparing myself. It's actually fine. That's okay. I can totally handle that. I feel quite proud of myself. Okay, great. Great. All right. So I'm going to do... Are they just flowers? Oh, yeah. These are just to make my workshop look pretty. Oh, you can eat them. Yeah, yeah. No, we're going to eat But these are edible, actually. You can steep these in tea and stuff. We had a guest in earlier. She's a medical herbalist. And she's a big fan of, like, you know, geranium and nettles and all that kind of stuff. So she actually taught me how to make a rose petal tea. Which is very nice, yeah. Um, but also they, they make my work right. to look very pretty. Okay, so we're just going to toast um, the sweet corn. I'm going to chop this off the cob, put that in the pan, uh, take it off, and then I'm going to go in with the pinto beans, some of the baby tomatoes, the cooking sauce, essentially heat that up, and we're going to make a very quick guacamole with some smashed avocado, olive oil, seasoning, and some red onion that I'm just going to chop. This is, I'm very excited about this because I, I do often eat guacamole, but I just buy it in a you little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, do, I wouldn't even know where to start I with mean, making it. I mean, honestly, you're going to have your mind blown at how easy it is to make your own. And really? it tastes a lot better okay, than really? the okay. ones. Yeah, sorry. yeah. It's kind of like hummus. If you make it from fresh, great. Um, and then we're just going to build our tacos and that's it. Okay, we're going to make enough for our studio audience here as well. Okay. Producers, your publishing team. Yeah. Okay, great. So, Max, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. The reason why I say that is because your book was one of the first things I read when I became a junior doctor. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, honestly. Um, the title which evades me now, but Confessions trust of a... Me, trust, trust me, I'm, I'm a, a junior, junior doctor. doctor. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, it was great. Amazing, honestly. <laughs> it was really good. So you, you got into the publishing world what, years ago? Yeah, yeah. It was, so I, that, that book came out of a series of columns that I wrote for the Telegraph when I was like 23, just sort of, you know, uh, junior doctor. Yeah. Um, and then after a year, I just got approached by um, by Hodder uh -huh. um, Publishers, and they said, you know, hey, why don't you turn this into into a book? Uh -huh. And then, and actually, the column was really popular, mm -hmm. and so I just sort of kept writing it for actually a couple of years, even while the book was sort of out. And yeah, um, and then I so then I did like a whole series just based on all the other columns I've been writing. Yeah, um, and then the column kind of changed because there's only so many stories you can tell. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> like kind of a lot of like a two-year sort of uh, <laughs> yeah stint, right? So, um, so then. So yeah, so th so now, and now you know even now in my columns now it's all kind of comment on news and yeah. stuff. So now it's a bit more sort of serious. Yeah. But yeah. um, but at the time it was really interesting to sort of be able to detail, um, as you know, put down your your experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, every week about everything that was sort of happening. Mm. So yeah, it was, yeah, I had a really good time. I really loved writing it. It was good. Oh, it was amazing because I, I remember reading it before I started my um, house jobs at Bowsedon back in like two thousand nine, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so over ten years ago. And um, I remember reading it, I was like, oh my God, this is literally like what my life is right now. And it was so nice to actually someone who's written a book to kind of normalize my experience yeah. as well. And I think yeah. a lot of like, I, call, I keep on calling them kids, I shouldn't call them kids. A lot of the junior doctors coming out now are sort of resonating a lot with stuff that, you know, we were going through yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Because it has changed, there's some bits, you know, occasionally now where I, you know, we'll do like a book reading or something. Yeah. Um, and I read back and think, oh no, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Like for example, there's a whole section about kind of losing x-rays. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Physical x-rays, of course yeah. now everything's on computer. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of sit there and kind of cringe like and think, oh God. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's like talking about tapes or, you know, videos or something and people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, things like that obviously have moved forward and sort of changed and even just the rotors have sort of changed quite mm. a lot. Yeah. Um, and the way that sort of junior doctors now work. Mm. Because certainly when I was a junior doctor, we used to kind of work in firms, yes. you know, kind of little teams, and yeah. you'd be with your consultant for kind of six months. Yeah. Whereas now, I think a lot of it is 
which I don't think is necessarily an improvement at all. Yeah. But now they kind of move around a lot more and yes. they're kind of not attached to a particular team. And it's kind of, you know, they're sort of like workers who yeah. are kind of like, you know, attached to different bits on different days. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so some bits have changed. But I think probably the, the essential interactions with all the patients and all the kind of feelings and all that kind of stuff, I think probably is, is very similar. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, yeah. like the, the, the way you write is quite emotive as well. And um, it's very passionate and... I remember, I mean, they still work in firms as well, but they, they probably rotate a little bit yeah. more often. So it's like every four months rather than every yeah. six months. Um, but And instead of losing sort of x-rays, it's like a new sort of issue that we have to like losing the patient number or the patient number <laughs> not being linked to the right PAX account. Yeah. And then, you know, you can't access the x-rays. The bureaucracy is still there very yeah. much. So it's something I have to deal with all the time in a years. In a way, it's, it's kind of reassuring almost in a way to think that, you know, no matter what technolog technological yeah. advances there are, it's still going to be a bit yeah. rubbish. Uh, <laughs> we can still mess it up yeah, somehow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so after you wrote, the, you wrote two, two books of so that it, main, So right? three, three books in that sort of series about sort of my life as a junior doctor. So the second one was um, after being a junior doctor, I then went into work into mental health. I did sort of lots of different jobs. Again, you can't sort of do yeah. that so much now, but yeah, yeah. you know, kind of a while back, you used to be able to sort of just do standalone jobs where you just go and yeah. get some experience for six months mm -hmm. in a particular area and then sort of leave it and move on. Mm -hmm. So I worked with a, like a homeless outreach project um, that in the time it was covering King's Cross before kind of King's Cross yeah, became, became cool. Cool, yeah, yeah Before yeah. Google moved in and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it, it was based in there and, uh, and, and, and we kind of covered Covent Garden, Soho and sort of all very central London. Yeah. Um, and, and then I also then worked for a, a drug and alcohol project. Uh -huh. um, so I wrote a book about that experience. Amazing. Um, sort of just talking about homelessness and what it's like working with homeless people and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then my third book was about sort of dementia because I then went off and worked in dementia. Yeah. Whereabouts so, did you work in dementia? Uh, so I worked up in uh, it was a, a hospital called St Pancras Hospital. Okay. Um, and uh, it's kind of it's a really old Victorian, I think, workhouse. Yeah. And it's all very kind scary. Of like St Mary's. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, very course. similar yeah, architecture. Yeah. But it's all kind of yeah. red brick. Yeah. Um, and it's really amazing, kind of you know, working there. I really loved it. It's really beautiful. Um, but um, lots of the, particularly the GP um, yeah. people who rotated in were petrified. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loads of people when they were on call. We had this like really scary on call room, and it was yeah. always creaking and stuff like this. And they'd all like sit in their cars and refuse used to go to the old room, <laughs> the whole night in their car. Um, but yeah, so, um, so I worked there and it sort of, again, it sort of covered just central London. So it was like yeah. dementia services for central London. And again, this was quite a while ago. So it was all kind of these, you know, elderly ladies who lived in these mansion blocks mm. in you know, Bloomsbury. Mm. And they sort of lived there for like 40 years or yeah. 50 years. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, then become very elderly. And now, of course, they've all been sold off in their solicitors' firms and yeah. this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But this, it was just at the sort of like ending of this kind of era yeah. of kind of older people who'd sort of, you know, moved in there maybe in their sort of 20s and 30s mm. um, and sort of just grown old there. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so now it's all sort of changed. I think the whole, the whole of that service has very much changed now because of the changing demographic. Yeah. And how did you know that you wanted to go into psychiatry? Because that was... That's what you're ultimately... Yeah, doing. yeah, yeah. Right. So I actually, you know, I always wanted to go into psychiatry. Oh, really? I went into medical school to, to, to work in mental health. No way. Yeah. That's and it very really, rare. I know it is very rare. And actually, I remember with my, my medical school interview, I said this. And the, the professor who's kind of interviewed me, kind of took off his glasses, went, why ever would you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so, so when I was uh, sort of like 15 or 16, I was actually quite naughty at school. And I used to kind of play truant quite a lot. Really? And to cut a long story short, right, I was really quite naughty. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I sort of like ended up being, this sort of uh, woman took me under her wing, really. She was a manager of a, of a, a small day hospital. 
um, in a place called Chalvey, which is like sort of west, west of London near Slough, and it's kind of quite a, an impoverished area. And she uh, sort of took me under, under her wing and, and sort of did work experience with me and sort of said, you know, you should be a doctor. And she really encouraged me. Yeah. It never occurred to me to be a doctor um, until, oh, until she came along. I was like 15, 16, something like that. Okay. And, um, and, and actually, I, the plan had been, my sort of family's plan for me had been that I was going to leave at 16 and go and work in a Marfa factory, which is in Slough. Yeah. And that's what, you know, one of my mum's friend's kids had done. So she was convinced, like, that's going to be the answer, go and work in the Mars factory. Yeah. Um, and then this, this lady, Anne... because you wanted all the sweets. And that. I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't do with my future career, just because she liked Maltesers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then, and then this lady, Anne, sort of was like saying, no, you should go off and be a, do- be a doctor. And actually, this, this day hospital, um, it, sort of, it was like a remnant of, kind of you know, the olden days that's sort of been forgotten about almost. Yeah. And, it, and it was kind of, it was, everybody who worked there seemed really passionate. They all worked there because they felt you know, really strongly about sort of advocating for the patients. And lots and lots of them had mental health problems. Right. And I Open remember, people as in lots of the, the patients had mental oh, okay, health problems. Fine, so yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a day program for older people, but mm. you know, often they'd had strokes or they had dementia gotcha. or they had kind of you know, chronic mental health problems. And so I just got this idea that actually being a doctor is about sort of standing up for people and advocating for people. Yeah. And, and you have to kind of find, you know, the people in society that have maybe not got a voice. Yeah. Um, and, and so it just was always in my head of like, well, I want to go and work with people with mental health problems because yeah. they haven't got anyone standing up for them and sort of fighting for them. Mm. So, so it was just in my head. I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I didn't, I didn't even know how to become a doctor. So we had this whole yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like, because no, no one in my, my dad was a milkman. So there was like, no, you know, was there wasn't, there wasn't really? like a kind of idea of like, oh, this is what you have to do. I didn't even know you had to go to university. So, and sort of like said on and is what you have to do and sort of really, really helped me. Um, and so then, then I went to medical school, but it was with the intention of going back to somewhere like this hospital gotcha, yeah, um, yeah. to kind of help this, that kind of patient group. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing that you were dissuaded uh, in the middle of your medical school interview to go into psychiatry and stuff. Did you almost feel like it was like your responsibility to, to prove that professor? Exactly. Right? Do you know, that's exactly yeah. what it was like. It kind of made me even more kind of think, right, yeah. you know, I'm definitely going to do it now. I'm definitely going to do yeah. this now, yeah. Oh, that's great. And so, so now you, you work in North London. Yeah, that's right. So you have, in... Yeah, but you have like a a very varied career at, at this point, right? Because obviously you're doing yeah. columns, you write children's books now, yeah. um, you know, you're doing stuff on uh, radio quite often. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, I feel quite privileged. I'm sure you like like you. You know, it's quite. It's like I love doing medicine. Yeah. Just on its own, it can become, I think, quite overwhelming. Absolutely. And it's really nice to do to have like lots of other different things to kind of p- keep you occupied. And particularly yeah. for me, kind of being able to write, uh, mm. you know, so I write a column every week. And mm. so, you know, your kind of thoughts you have in your head or the mm. kind of things and frustrations mm. to be able to have, you know, an outlet for that, yeah. you know, is, is, is fantastic. I, d- I don't think I would be able to, be able to so I work full time in the NHS, and I don't think I'd be able to handle working full time, ironically, if I didn't also do other stuff. Yeah, so you work full time. So, yeah, because oh, wow. yeah, because uh, quite a lot of my colleagues, and I think particularly in GP, they yeah. people tend now to work part time, which is understandable. I think yeah. just because the stresses. Um, yeah, actually, even I like I work uh, three or uh, two to three days a week now, right. clinical, because I've just got so much other stuff to do, like yeah, yeah. like smashing avocados, yeah. which is. <laughs> which is Actually, I should, uh, for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, you uh, so, yeah, well, I've just done, no, sorry, no idea. Sorry. So in, in this pan, um, we've taken up the uh, sweet corn that I've just dry toasted just to bring out a little bit of the, um, the water and give a little bit of colour to the Did sweet corn. Did you put oil in the pan first? No, 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 so that was okay. no oil in that one. Um, right. That was just raw uh, sweet corn just okay. chopped off the, off the cob. In here, we've got the pinto beans, uh, the baby tomatoes that I've just halved, uh, the cooking sauce. 
a little bit of seasoning and some paprika as well. Um, a bit of pepper, that's about it. And this is, this is literally just to warm it up. Mm -hmm. And now I'm making uh, a guacamole that is going to blow your mind. Um, how simple it is. I'm just uh, taking... <gasps> that, that was a miracle, <laughs> how you just did that. I don't... I, that is so, extraordinary. I wanted I want a replay of that. That was amazing. We how might to get that? this in slow motion. I don't know. Uh, so this is the... I don't know if I can redo it now because it's kind of webbed in it. But okay. you, you just basically firmly but confidently right. put the sharp um, knife into the seed yeah. and then you twist it very gently and then it pops out like that. That is amazing because actually that is one of the things that puts me off avocado i can imagine yeah is that, is that i'm like how do you get the thing out and then you squidge it and it's all gone yeah yeah, yeah. we see a lot of avocado injury uh, avocado related <laughs> injuries know. yeah one of my so i used to work at such a middle class <laughs> yeah. well i mean avocados are becoming the norm now aren't they everyone's putting them in the smoothies and stuff so yeah so like uh i i used to work for um a plastic surgeon um he was a hand surgeon in oh. particular and he was like avocados are one of the most dangerous vegetables that you've got because oh, i suppose it's a fruit it's the seed but um it's because uh people just don't know and they go like this and right. they go straight through and then into the hand oh. obviously so you're gonna be really really careful okay. when you do that um i should look after my tacos well, this is like high risk high risk cooking. it's high risk cooking i know <laughs> right who would have thought um so yeah i'm just going to smash this with the back of a fork i've put both the segments in a bowl a little bit of seasoning and some olive oil and then I'm just going to chop some onion as That's well. That's quite a lot of salt. Yeah, salt. yeah, yeah. So well, do, do you worry about salt? Because I, I was going to ask you this. Cause, yeah, yeah. Because I try to never use, I mean, I don't actually also cook, but yeah. as in I never add salt to anything because I'm also pounded about my high blood pressure. But of then course. I was reading that actually maybe there's not such a close link as we think there is. So, so I, there's what do you think? definitely a link with convenience products right. and uh, sort of takeaway food and the way they use salt in that respect. Yeah. I think if you use uh, the right amount of salt at the right time, you don't need to over-salt. Okay. Um, we probably have uh, unequivocal, uh, unequivocal evidence that excess salt is certainly related to cardiovascular uh, issues. Um, but using a, like, I mean, that probably looked like a lot, but it was probably, yeah, yeah. Like, probably like a quarter teaspoon. Okay. And because I'm using sea yeah. salt, the crystals themselves, um, when you bite into them, they actually exhibit quite a lot of that salt flavor. Right. Um, so you don't need to use that much. Um, and also this is going to be used as a garnish. Um, okay. to the thing. So, so is it better than to use, to use the crystals than, than the normal like table sort? Then? I actually prefer do? it that way. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. It sounds like a bit of a sort of, you know, middle class thing to do as well. Like, oh, I'm going to go for the Malden sea salt. But um, I, I, I honestly think flavor wise, okay. it's fantastic. So yeah, hmm. that's why. Um, what are we talking about now? <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. No, 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 that's great. I mean, uh, I think so we're, we're talking about, uh, I think, hand injuries related to, <laughs> related to this. Yeah. middle class injuries. Th this guacamole, honestly, it, it's super simple. I'm just going to, do you know how to dice an onion? I should have taught you that, actually. Okay, so. I mean, let's be honest. What do you think the answer is? I know. I've just like, managed oh. to work out that that is an onion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've got a red onion. Okay. Uh, so I've just sliced it lengthways so it goes through the stem at the bottom. Right. The trick to this is you want to keep the bit at the bottom because it holds all these beautiful segments together. Okay. Um, and you just peel the outside of it. Actually, I've done a few YouTube videos on this as well, just how to chop an onion properly. Um, put that to one side. And so this is where the base is here. So you just want to firmly and with a nice sort of claw technique, just chop lengthways like that. Um, I'm doing it quite thick just okay. to show you here. You can do it thinner once you know. And then the same way, and then you've got a nice fine dice. 
You see that? That is quite, it's quite impressive. <laughs> I, I don't actually know what I would do. I literally don't know. If someone said Dyson onion, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure. This is why we need hindsight. culinary classes in medical wow. school. That's, that's actually something that I'm working on with culinary medicine. Oh. Do you know, because actually a long time ago, I worked in, in South London in, uh-huh. a, in a drugs project. Oh, yeah. And one of the main issues we had was kind of basically malnutrition yeah. amongst people because they're not prioritising eating. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we realised was that um, we sort of say like, oh, make sure you eat properly. Yeah. And actually in the area, it was in a kind of place at Charlton in Woolwich. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah I know way. Woolwich. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. literally, there was no shops that yeah. sold any kind of fresh vegetables or fruit. I mean, nothing. Yeah. And so you were sort of saying to people, we'll go off and eat fresh fruit and vegetables and Absolutely. there wasn't anywhere to buy it. Yeah. And then even when then you'd sort of say, right, okay, you know, you know, go to Sainsbury's over here and we used to kind of get vouchers for them and stuff. They yeah. wouldn't know literally how to cook the food. Exactly. Because they'd never, and so you get sort of people in their 20s and 30s quite literally yeah. Not not even knowing like how what red pepper is yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and really it, it's really heartbreaking. I was at a, a food conference last year, and then we had these primary school kids that came in. And it was, some of them was the first time they'd seen a baby tomato. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, it, it, it's a baby tomato. Like everyone should know, but these sort of simple accessible ingredients. And so to go back to your point about how people don't know how to cook with the items or where to buy them as well. It's one of the things that we teach in culinary medicine to the medical students. So uh, A, you know, food education uh, is something that just isn't in school. So no one else, you should expect a very low level of food literacy. And the second thing is you need to keep it as simple as possible um, and accessible. So one pan meals that we're doing here, um, foods that you can buy in food banks and also be considerate of the fact that some of these cans require a tin opener and people don't have tin yeah, openers. Yeah. You know, they don't have like the basic equipment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a real issue. And that 4 million people in the UK are using food banks. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realise that. And that, you know, given that we live in one of the richest democracies in the world, yeah, it's just yeah. crazy. And I suppose it's some of the difficulty with the food bank thing is that actually it's quite sometimes quite unusual food or random food Absolutely. and stuff. And so actually the level of skill you need mm to be able to think, oh, well, I've got this, this, and this, and this, and yeah. I can combine those into this meal. Actually, I mean, I definitely, definitely wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, you know, unless absolutely. I've got like the four things I always go through. You totally. know, if, it, if people gave me a random section of food, I'd have, no, I'd have no idea. Totally, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, it's one of those things I think we need to be a lot more confident at giving nutrition advice. Very simple, pragmatic advice, because mm. not everyone, unfortunately, has access to nutrition professional, yeah. nutritionists that work in the NHS, dietitians. You can only refer as a general practitioner. Uh, under strict sort of circumstances yeah. so yeah let's go back to the food yeah. so you're, you're gonna eat this so we've got a guacamole um that is just made there very quickly some um of the uh the sweet corn and the um uh the lamb's lettuce i'm just gonna put this to one side and i've just warmed the tacos on a on a dry pan behind me and we're just gonna build it so how would you like it it's up to you we can we can either go guacamole first. Yeah. It's kind of like scones. What do you, what do you, th- what scones, do you think? What, what do you think? How would you do it? I would go. <laughs> I'll be lit by I you. I would go. Um, and don't worry, I'm not going to make you eat it with your hands if you don't want on camera because we're probably going to eat it. I mean, you can use a knife and fork, but if you want to oh, go, no, isn't it? Isn't it I'm yeah, 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 it's a hand it, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. For that, with that in mind, I'm going to go in with the lamb lettuce as the base, and the sweet corn. There you go. Really do hope you like this. This is actually literally my lunch. I haven't had lunch. So. Okay, good, 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 good. It's our lunch as well. So you've done so you've done like two together. How did you get them to stick together? Oh, I didn't stick them together. I just they're, they're, oh, they're separate. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I've just popped them on, on like that. So we're going with a little bit of the beans. 
here. And you can make this with like, um, I mean, traditionally you've got like barbacoa, you've got like um, uh, al acidor, which is kind of like a kebab, um, but we're making it slightly healthier. So we've got okay. some beans, some like um, some, some tomatoes, the phytonutrients from that. And then we're just going to top it off with a little bit of the guacamole on the top here. And there we go. I was just about to ask you a question whilst you were eating there, so I... <laughs> Do you eat how much? It's like... actually lovely. Good? It's not spicy at all. Good, it's good, I'm glad. Good, I'm glad, I'm glad. Yeah, they go for it. That's go really it. nice. Good. That's lovely. Good, good. I'm, I'm really I'm glad you're I'm pleasantly like surprised. <laughs> and I don't mean that <laughs> the whole way. I'm pleasantly surprised as well. But I like, this, just that doesn't look like it's going to be that amazingly tasty, but yeah. actually it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, really good, nice. good. I mean, it's just like you know the right mix of ingredients. Um, I was going to ask you, do you eat, do we eat out much? Like yeah. you know, you go to restaurants. What's, what's yeah. your favourite sort of? Cuisine? I should have asked you that before I even got you in the kitchen. Um, so I actually quite like if it's not too spicy. Uh -huh. I quite like Oaxaca. Oh yeah. I can handle Oaxaca. Okay. Um, I always have the same things every time, but but, okay. I, but yeah, I like that. Um, and I really yeah, I kind of like anything chickeny. So okay. I used I was vegetarian for a really long time. All right. Um, and then. Probably about eight years ago or so, something just clicked in my head and I uh -huh. thought, I, you know, I really craved kind of chicken, actually. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then I thought, and I just decided, you know, I'm not going to be vegetarian anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I tried red meat because I hadn't really ever eaten red meat particularly. Mm -hmm. And then I just didn't like it. So I thought mm -hmm. I don't really see the point of making myself eat something if I don't particularly like it. Sure. So I just really like chicken. I like fish. Mm -hmm. I try not to eat too much fish for kind of environmental reasons. Mm -hmm. So then, so I just pretty much just eat chicken and then vegetables. Great. So yeah, so if it's... If it's and you eat 10 vegetables a day. Yeah. You're, you're doing a lot better than the general public there, mate. Well, I think the key thing is not bothering to cook it. Yeah. If I had to cook it, I wouldn't bother. But it's because you just cut it up and then it's just there and you yeah. kind of sit there, you kind of yeah, sit there reading yeah. or whatever, just chomping yeah. away. So yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's great. So, Max... <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed your tacos. They were very good. I'm very good. impressed. And I, pro I genuinely, I promise you, I'm going to make them. And I'm going to take a photo of it. And okay. I will send it to you, I promise. Please do. But I need yeah. to, I'm excited about where we're going to find the blue ones from. Oh, you don't need to go, but you don't need to do But I, I will try, because I want it to be yeah. exactly the same so you're feel, so you're proud of me. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you if you just get the beans right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's talk about the marvellous adventure of being human. Yeah. This is fantastic. I love the fact that, you know, you're trying to educate kids in how their body works and stuff. Actually, that was one of my first introductions into why I wanted to be a doctor. Do you remember that series called How My Body Works? No. What it channel was, was like, this on? It was, on, it was like a series of books, quite similar oh, sort okay. of led to this. But every week it was like, um, I, mean, I must have spent so much money on what my parents did anyway. Oh, every hang on. Was this like a, a thing you, you uh, like subscribed to? Yes. You go into the thing and you get it and then you realise, you think oh, it's only a pound. Yeah. And then about you know, three years later, you realise yes. you could have actually bought a human body. For exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could have done that. In fact, I think my sister did this one. I did one called Country File and okay. my sister did that one. Yeah. And they actually just ended up... Sadly, just ended up stacking up in their little plastic. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, no, you, you actually build a body, yeah. like you know, this one week yeah, yeah. you get the liver and it will tell you what yeah, yeah. it does and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that was a scam. This, on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a scam. This, this is not much a scam. cheaper. This is much cheaper and marvelously <laughs> illustrated as well. So tell me, what? what possessed you to, to write a children's book well do you know i thought it'd be really easy it's actually turned out to be quite difficult yeah, yeah. it is actually it's it's actually strangely it's probably one of the hardest books certainly that i've written um i like i 
I had this idea of kind of trying to make, you know, the human body and biology and stuff kind of a bit more interesting mm. for children. And I was kind of inspired by this study that had been done in the British Medical Journal yeah. quite a few years ago that basically kind of just went out and it just asked random members of the general public and said stuff like, what side is your liver on? Mm. You know, what does your kidney do? And adults, stuff like that. Right? Yeah, adults. Yeah, adults yeah. And they didn't know. Mm. And it kind of, you know, and it was uh, published as this sort of quite startling uh, sort of piece of research saying that actually, you know, doctors sit there and we talk about organs and so on, you know, really quite basic things that we assume is quite basic. And actually the people we're talking to really don't understand. And so I started thinking, oh, you know, so I want to kind of a, it's really important that not only doctors maybe understand how to pitch what they're, what they're saying, but also trying to educate the general public. And it occurred to me, you, put, you, you should start with children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's the so, same thing with food, right? Like you want to start with teaching children how to cook, to recognize ingredients, to recognize vegetables and that kind of stuff. Um, in the same way, we need to teach them how to be medically literate with anatomy. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I see this all the time as an NE doctor. Someone will come in and they'll say, I've got heart pain. What they mean is I have pain in my chest yeah. or this part of my body here. But they immediately assume this is definitely cardiac. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, the same thing with kidney. I have kidney pain. Um, but it's actually, you know, on the side of their yeah, abdomen. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean it's kidney. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of And you sort of say to people, like, where's your stomach? And they always think, oh, it's here. Yeah. And actually, they don't go, your stomach's up so much yeah. higher. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, these really basic things where when you've done, you know, years and years and years at medical school and you've done human dissection and you've done all this kind of stuff, yeah. you under, it's just, it's just in, in your head and you, you would, can't believe anybody doesn't know this. And, you know, I often have people, when I used to work in alcohol services, and they talk about their kidneys. Mm. And they're like, oh, I know I'm damaging my kidneys. Yeah. And you think, no, 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 you mean your liver. Yeah. And they don't even, under, they know that it's somehow bad for them, but they don't even understand what it is that's mm. bad. And, mm. you know, and you, you spe- I've spent quite a lot of time educating mm. Mm. Uh, your patients. And so, and I had this idea about it maybe be, making it a bit of fun and rather than it just being sort of dry, like boring anatomy, yeah. Yeah. of this idea of like, we could kind of go on a journey and kind of shrink down yeah. into these kind of, you know, tiny people and go around yeah. the body. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember watching this film, I think I was, I must've been very, very young, I'm you know, like probably four or five. And it was in, that, in that, that was one of the themes, I think is that all these scientists shrunk down and had to go into somebody's body. I think I've seen that. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It was, it was like a spaceship. They went into yeah. like a spaceship and they, they went around the body and they had like red blood cells flying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They kind of had this in my was. mind. And I thought, because I remember that. And I thought, God, you know, I remember that sort of, you know, from 30 years ago. Yeah. And it sort of stuck in my head. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's that's a kind of adventure. Cause you, I need to make it kind of exciting for kids. Yeah. So it's not like boring. Yeah. And then, so I thought that was the kind of premise that I was working on. And then I thought, and I also want to kind of bring in this idea of particularly things like food and nutrition and like why, why it's important to look after your body. Yeah. Um, and you know, because again, I think doctors sort of sit and say, oh, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't drink, mm. you should eat properly. But actually it's, if you don't understand why, you don't, can't put it in a context, it's yeah. just meaningless. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of then litter throughout the books, these kind of little nuggets of kind of, you know, this is why it's important to eat properly. This is why it's important to eat, you know, vegetables, mm. because actually you need them and yeah, it's nu- nutrition and mm. so on and so on and kind of just, introduce the children to, to those kind of bigger ideas. And I suppose inadvertently, what you're also doing is educating the parents that are gonna be reading yeah. this book to them, right? <laughs> and that, that's the thing, that's probably like how we sort of uh, subtly educate everyone by posing as a as a children's book. But I can imagine tons of people looking at it, it's like, oh my God, that's like how capillaries work. And yeah. I didn't actually realize that's that exactly, you know, My sister said exactly the same thing. So the first book I got, I gave to my, my nephew, he's sort of seven. 
And my sister then texted me, I can't believe, I, I didn't know half the stuff yeah. in this book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's quite funny. Yeah, and we normalise yeah. the anatomy because it's something that we deal with all the time. And, you know, through medical school, six years of that or, or, or less, you know, it just becomes normal. Okay, everyone knows where your liver is, for example. Everyone knows your general anatomy. But actually, it, I'm sure as you've gone through reading, uh, making this book, you realise that how, how illiterate we are. In yeah, terms of and also I realised that I didn't know lots of stuff. Oh, really? Well. <laughs> yeah. you know, I sat thinking, I love the honesty, actually, mate. How does the eye work? Because <laughs> yeah. you realise that this is, thing, is not very well taught. It's not very no. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that took a long time in the yeah. library going, oh, wow. Um, because you realise that it's one of those things, and I remember this in journalism, is that actually it's relatively easy to write for kind of like a you know, highbrow audience, yeah. you know, where everybody knows everything. You know, you can kind of summarise a government white paper quite easily. Yeah. Actually, what's really hard is writing for say the, the sun yeah. where you're actually you're where you're pitching it is yeah. much lower because yeah. you have to really understand it yourself and that's kind of how i felt about writing this book mm. was that to in order to explain it to a child you have mm. to know it absolutely absolutely completely yeah. and like the back of your hand yeah. and actually some of the things i thought oh do you know I don't, i'm actually not sure yeah. how does that quite work yeah. and so i have to then sort of go away and spend a day or two kind of rereading stuff and thinking oh yeah of course i find it humbling actually when because uh, my hostel there's a, a large focus on teaching teaching medical students teaching people during their training as well so everyone have two doctors it's really humbling when they ask you a very simple question about how something works and then you think you know in your head but actually when you try and verbalize it it's it's actually it heightens to you oh actually i don't understand how that works and it forces you to go back to the reading and then you can see one do and teach yeah. one that's what we're talking yeah, about yeah. School, right? yeah, yeah. and it really does work yeah. really well and i love how illustrated this is i mean you know you, you don't shy away from things like cytoplasm cell membrane and you told me about how you were trying to figure out how to explain blood pressure oh see this is the thing again it, it was so interesting because you know i just assumed uh you could you know, not to use too long words, but actually yeah. basically you could talk about concepts just yeah. as you would with an adult. Yeah. And, and of course, I mean, so, so ignorant of me because uh, what was it? So one of the pages, for example, is on the, on the blood vessels yeah. and the difference between, obviously, between veins and arteries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the main differences, like functional differences, yeah. is that the blood is under a lot of pressure in an artery and it's not under so much pressure in a vein, but actually you need to go against gravity. So, you know, this is the issue and you've got the gravity kind of pulling it down, particularly things like your legs. So they're the kind of main differences and that yeah. kind of, you know, they translate into structurally how they're different. So I then tried to explain this and then straight, so, you know, wrote this, wrote this very, I thought, very nice kind of straightforward <laughs> explanation, sent it off and straight away, my editor sent it back and went, no, because children at that age don't have a concept of pressure. Yeah. And I was like, what? what? Yeah. How do you explain pressure without using the concept of pressure? pressure yeah. I, this is a nightmare. Yeah. It's actually very, really, really difficult. And we were, you know, and there was a, a section on the kind of skeleton and bones. Mm. And what I wanted the, the children to kind of understand was that bones aren't kind of something boring and static, mm. that they're dynamic and they're constantly changing and they're remodeling all the time. And actually, they're not just there just to give us support, yeah. but also they serve a really important detoxifying yeah. uh, sort of feature. And that's, you know, if you have certain chemicals in your body that your body cannot get rid of, then it buries them deep in the bone and kind mm. of like hides mm. them. Um, and, you know, so actually they're incredibly functional and they serve this amazing, you know, yeah. purpose in our body. 
And so then I wrote about this and they were like, no, because the, the concept of chemicals <laughs> is too hard for them at, the, at this age. And I was like, well, how can I talk about chemicals without using the word chemical? Yeah, yeah. It's really exactly. hard. Yeah, and you must have seen so yeah. many things like that, like just hitting a wall, like, okay, I've got to go yeah. really, really busy. But you know what? Those things that you just mentioned there, I don't think a lot of the adult na- adult population would realise. Like, they probably think of bone as something that's solid, something yeah. like stone, without realising it's full of vasculature. Yeah. It is pivotal to a whole bunch of other processes yeah. in our body, calcium metabolism and, you know, homeostasis and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I mean, I'm just looking at that page now, the designer genes, for example. Explaining <laughs> genes to kids, come on. I know. <laughs> and also, I did, like, as, as it's in the book, I wrote it like that. So the first kind of couple, I was thinking, you know, what is a cell? And I was thinking, I, I don't think I even know what a cell is anymore. Yeah, you know, I yeah, thought yeah. I knew all this stuff and I really don't. But it was actually, yeah, it was really sort of interesting trying to sort of strip it back. And actually, I think it was quite useful for me as a doctor realizing actually what words do I use? And I remember a long time ago, I was with a, a, a patient and she was describing how she was you know, very distressed and she had this kind of terminal condition um, and you know, she'd had a heart attack and she was gonna die at any point and stuff. And I was looking through the history, and I thought this doesn't quite make sense. Mm. And, and I was saying to her like, you know, but you have had a heart attack, but what makes, it, what makes you think that that's you're going to die now i don't understand mm. you know the, the cardiologist says you're fine you've been discharged from hospital and she said no no because they kept on saying it was acute and i said well I, what do you mean and she said well they were saying it's acute now in her mind yeah this is a woman kind of in her 60s in yeah. her mind acute meant terminal right. so it was just a misunderstanding of the word and i right. sat thinking god all these people all these doctors have been coming using this word repeatedly yeah, yeah. and actually you, you, it's through no fault of your own. Actually, yeah. they've just been failing to explain properly what that word actually means. Yeah. So actually, when I was writing this book, it really sort of helped me think, actually, what words am I using that maybe I'm taking for granted that I know what they mean, but actually they, they need a proper explanation. Yeah, and you know what? I think a lot of professionals, medics who listen to this podcast as well, will probably uh, think about that when they when they go back to into the practice, whatever that might be. Even me, I'm thinking about it now because mm. I, I work mainly in A&E these days and I have to get across quite complicated subjects very quickly in a short mm. amount of time. But the way and the, the, the vernacular that I, uh, I'm i used to using perhaps is sometimes pitched too high, too mm. low in some, some cases, but probably too high most mm. of the time. And that's reframing how I think I should be explaining things. You know, as part of my general practice training, uh, we did our CSA and you know, clinical OSCEs and that kind of stuff. And a, a couple of the stations are uh, communication based and how do you explain to someone why COPD, what COPD is first of all, uh, how that differs and what they, how that's an umbrella term for a whole bunch of other things um, and how to treat it all in that short space of window whilst understanding what level yeah. of, of uh, education level and literacy level the patient has in front of you. Yeah, I, I do a lot of work with, um, with psychologists, I work very closely with psychologists mm. and I remember sort of having this actual dis- exact discussion mm. with a psychologist who gave me such a brilliant tip mm. which was like at the end say to the patient, can you explain to me what I've said to you? Yeah. And do you know, now I do that every single time, every yeah. single consultation I do that. And it's really quite sobering. Yeah. Some patients have got, exactly, some patients will just listen and hear one particular bit that you kind of was a throwaway yeah. thing that you didn't think was that important or yeah. you just kind of mentioned it and then that's the bit they've kind of stuck with. Yeah. And other bits, you realise that actually some patients have really quite misunderstood what you've yeah. been saying and you've been having one conversation and they've been hearing a totally different conversation. Absolutely. And that is, a, you know, kind of right towards the end, it then gives you this perfect opportunity to kind mm. of correct any misinformation. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, but so yeah, so writing this book, it sort of really gave me this, really made me think even more about this yeah. again 
again and again about you know the kind of the words of vocabulary that we use, the assumptions we make about yeah. what people understand, what they don't understand. That, that's a really good point. And you know, I I, I try and use that tip quite a bit throughout um, my sort of uh, medical work, but also when I wrote my my two books, I actually had um, lay people so people people who weren't uh, clinically trained, yeah. who weren't medics or whatever, read the chapters and summarize it back to me because there's so much nuance and when you're trying to explain eating for skin disorders or eating for to prevent uh, cancer and all these different things. And you'd never want to be misinterpreted, particularly on a public health level. Yeah. You know, oh, this means this cures X, Y, Z. And that's why, you know, I, I put a lot of effort into sending out the chapters before they got published, getting some feedback and getting them to explain, okay, what did you learn from this chapter? Mm. Was it this that you took away or was it this? And, you know, getting that feedback to make sure that your message is being communicated properly. Yeah, I think I think it tends to be G GPs or people who've gone through GP training tend to be much better at yes, that. Yeah. From my experience, it is often not always a massive generalisation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is sometimes uh, hospital doctors, and I think it's because they live in such a it's yeah. such a closed world, yeah. and you know they interact with nurses who are experts and they yeah. know their kind of thing, their area, and they work with maybe dietitians who know their kind of yeah. thing, and so everybody's sort of talking. It, with using the same vocabulary and it yeah. just you just assume that that world yeah. you know is, is is out there as well and, and i suppose gps because you do lots more loan working mm -hmm. actually the main interaction you have is with patients, with patients so yeah. actually there's not such an assumption of knowledge yeah we actually are not to blame hospital doctors at all because they're fantastic and some of them are fantastic communicators listen, we're, well. we're both in a hospital i know yeah, yeah i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah <laughs> But um, so sometimes when I work in primary care, I have to do undo a lot of misinformation that yeah. the patient has taken away from that consultation. So, you know, uh, after seeing an endocrinologist and they don't understand why their thyroid medication has changed, for example, I have to go really back to base. Like, okay, this is what your thyroid does. This is why they've changed your medication. These are the other things that you can do with your lifestyle support, this other stuff, and how it interacts with the other medications. Are because, you know, they have very short consultation times mm. as well, very much similar to what we have, like eight to nine minutes. So, you know, for them, like you were saying, it's just completely normalized. You just yeah. brush through thyroid yeah. as, uh, like, or endocrinology issues and, and just, yeah, see as many patients as possible without really thinking about their understanding. And often, the, I suppose, the kind of the sickest people end up kind of then going to see like the professor or something. Yes. Who add, and they were often quite, yeah. uh, it's quite touching. They're often really sort of like, oh, I'm seeing the consultant, I'm seeing the professors or whatever. Yeah. And actually, those people are often living in an even more rarefied environment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're kind of, their area of expertise is incredibly honed down. So it mm. becomes very difficult for them to understand. Mm. Um, and I think that's really, that's one of the, my sort of passionate things, you know, kind of generalists mm. within medicine and why they're so important yeah. is because they can stand back and give a much more holistic yeah. uh, kind of view and it really help the patient to sort of advocate for them, sort of, you know, help them through that patient journey in a way that maybe the kind of really uber specialists yeah. would sort of struggle to. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the way I'm trying to get more people in specialism to think. That's why culinary medicine, like, kind of skips through loads of different conditions and why food isn't just in the realm of specialist nutritionists and dietitians or even general practitioners is actually everyone's responsibility. In the same way, it's everyone's responsibility to bring up smoking cessation yeah. or screening or you know all the other sorts of tools at a public health level. Um, and I think that's the real, I mean, I have a bias here, but I really think food is the great leveler across different specialties and why everyone should be chatting a bit more about it and how it's obviously very important to the human body as well. Um, so what was the diff most difficult chapter to write? Well, I just probably, <laughs> I, do you know, I, I, it's that, it was I literally that. just well, because I felt the very, page. I did feel very strongly. So, so just, I would just say, the listeners. so I would say the page <laughs> on male and female anatomy, mm -hmm. because 
obviously at the age of so it's pitched at around sort of the age of seven seven to sort of ten uh-huh. and actually at that age it's it's it is a sensitive sort of topic to bring Absolutely, up yeah, yeah. um and and this is not a sex education book. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's, it's a book about the human body. Yeah. But in it, inevitably, you're, we're talking about kind of form and function. Mm-hmm. And so we are inevitably talking about like what, what those parts of your body do. Yeah. So it was very difficult to kind of walk that fine line between explaining, you know, yeah. what, what a penis does yeah. without going into the ins and outs. It was very, very difficult to do that and to do it also in a kind of in a sensitive way that would appeal to kind of people from you know all different backgrounds yeah. with kind of you know d- you know different kind of sensibilities. Yeah. Um, so I would say that took that took a lot of uh, going to back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Lots of kind of talking to different people, sort of thinking like you know how how could I phrase this yeah, in a sort yeah. of a, a, an honest way. The other thing is you know I didn't want to kind of brush over things. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And I'm really glad that you didn't shy away from this because uh, like just for the listener, you know we, we have pictures of the vagina, ovaries, uterus. It's really, really important because a lot of adults don't understand the difference between these different bases. So, I uh, parts of the body rather. I um, am an ambassador for the Eva Pill, and they're uh, a charity that essentially raises awareness of the five gynecological cancers. And they've done some research uh, about illiteracy of females and their anatomy, and they don't know how to describe things like labia, vagina, yeah. etc. Um, and that actually is a lot of embarrassment. There's a massive taboo subject, uh, taboo around going to the doctor and speaking about bleeding yeah. and pain and all these different things for fear of embarrassment and not being taken seriously. So actually, like we were saying, you're planting the seed very early in children to learn about the anatomy, understand how it actually works and why that's important later on in life yeah. as well. And I, and I didn't, I, you know, I wanted it to be something about this is not anything to be ashamed of. Mm. This is, you know, everybody's got their you know, bits down there. It's kind of perfectly normal. Mm. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't kind of shy away from having those conversations. And it's like, so it was kind of, it was a, it was a very delicate, difficult line to walk. Yeah. And, you know, things like the illustration has got a sanitary towel mm. and a tampon. Mm. Because I was like, you know, these aren't things that people should be ashamed of in any way. It's Absolutely. normal. And I wanted to kind of celebrate the fact, you know, there's a section about women's breasts saying mm. they all come in all different sizes mm. and shapes and that's normal and mm. it's okay. Mm. Because, you know, I wanted to try and get that message across, you know, before yeah. people, you know, before the children have kind of entered into puberty, mm. they've already had that sort of seed planted that, yeah. oh, you know, these are our bodies, they're normal mm. um, and that that's okay. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's okay to talk about them and stuff and yeah and certainly when I used to work a long time ago I used to work in uh, child psychiatry uh-huh. and you'd have some really heartbreaking conversations with children where yeah. you realise the, the level of ignorance um, and the kind of shame attached to, to their bodies mm. and, and, and you know they'd be like 14 year olds and you think where's this come from it's awful I've got a friend of mine um, is a beautician she runs her own clinic and she frequently has to turn away um, teenagers like young, young girls wow. you know kind of 13, 14 mm. um, um, because they've come because they want to be fully waxed wow. because they're saying it's not natural oh, and they don't want to do yeah. um, about it and they're very distressed and she yeah. has to kind of take them aside and kind of explain that actually you know pubic hair is normal and it's mm. okay and then they're kind of saying well no boys want to want to sleep with me right. and it's kind of you know, part of a much more complex kind yeah. of sociocultural um, situation absolutely. so I kind of wanted in a very small way to kind of be like sort of celebrating people's bodies and there's absolutely, nothing to be ashamed yeah. well of. I think this is in a very big way because I think that's a, a very sort of important topic to, to raise I mean I did a little bit of um, so, well I did psychiatry as part of my general practice training what I did when I was in pediatrics I was in um, Brighton medical school mm-hmm. um, uh, we did some work at the Royal Alexander and um, I remember having some patients uh, who have 
as young as 11, maybe even younger than that, coming in with eating disorder. They just wouldn't eat. Yeah. And, you know, the mother would, would be there, the father perhaps was traveling, and that's why they were sort of like rebelling in a certain way, and they just stopped eating. I literally had no idea, and this is going back like you know, seven or eight years ago, I had literally no idea that we could have eating disorders in, year, in, in children, yeah. in, you know, in, in as young as, you know, 10, 9. Um, it, it's incredible. Is this yeah. something that you do or is this more? Yeah, so this is, this is my area that I, I work in. So I work mm-hmm. in an eating disorder unit. Um, and I, I deal with adults. I was kind of teenagers transitioning into adult services mm-hmm. and then adults. Um, Which is a huge area yeah, itself, absolutely. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there is, there is a whole part of our service mm. uh, that deals with, uh, with children. Mm. Um, and it's very difficult. And part of it is kind of cultural and social. Mm. Um, the kind of influences that children pick up on around sort of, you know, idealising certain body shapes and so on and so on yeah. and kind of preoccupations around certain types of food and so on. Um, but also there's obviously a big psychological element. It's not simply just that. Yeah. Um, it's also a lot, particularly in younger, in younger people, um, often about kind of ideas around control, mm-hmm. um, feeling you're very often out of control. Because of course, one of the first things we learn as babies to control is the food that we eat. Mm-hmm. So it's often uh, young, younger people who feel out of control often regress back and then they then start to control the food they eat yeah. um, as a way of kind of feeling more, more in control around things in their life. And, and do you think that, the, am I right in thinking that there's a rise of eating disorders uh, in that particular age group as well? Or is it uh, a case of greater sort of awareness from, from a professional standpoint and um, greater detection? So that's, I mean, that's something that, that that's a big, a really, really good, but very big question um, that people spent a lot of time trying to identify. I, I think it's pro- it is actually probably a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see I have a number of older patients, maybe in the sort of 40s and 50s, even into their 60s, um, who have basically had an eating disorder their whole life, often wow. since childhood. Uh-huh. And they will sit there and say, you know, I spent... 10 years kind of in and out of just general hospital mm. under paediatrics mm-hmm. uh, because there just wasn't that understanding then. Like when you think it wasn't until around sort of like 1978, I think it was, that bulimia was first, the phrase bulimia was yeah. first coined. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's actually very relatively recent yeah. um, that we've even kind of had words and vocabulary properly yes. to kind of yeah. understand eating disorders. Um, so, and you know, the first services are only about sort of 30 years old or so, mm. sort of dedicated eating disorder services. So, um, so I think now, now that there's more and more awareness of it, obviously we then pick 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 up more. Yeah. Um, whereas you know years and years ago these people were just in paediatrics, failure to thrive clinics, yeah. you know, kind of uh, not really receiving any psychiatric help. Um, but I do also think that because of things like the rise in social media, yeah. increased kind of pressures on children and so mm. on and so on, um, even down to things like and it's maybe quite controversial, but things like atomization of the family. So kind of like family breakdown. We now don't have like, you know, our grandparents living next door as we maybe did do 50 years ago. Um, you know, we don't have massive extended families with loads of aunties and uncles. So actually children, if your parents split up, that could be really catastrophic and you don't have anymore a kind of social network mm. um, that maybe they did 50, 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's probably a combination of lots of very different things um, of kind of, you know, come together to to create this spike that we have we have definitely seen. It's probably not as much as we think it is, because I think some of it's over detection or detection. Yeah, yeah. Um, but certainly there is there is a bit of a spike in increase. You work in quite a diverse area, I'm assuming, right? So you around uh, Tottenham and yeah. area. Um, so do you think there's a bit of a taboo around uh, people from ethnic backgrounds and coming forward with depression? Because I know certainly in Indian culture, it's a very big taboo. And we, we live in that perfect sort of environment where we have the extended family, the parents, the grandparents, etc. 
Um, but with that also comes a bit of pressure as well. Uh, and, you know, th to, to go forward and actually go to, to go to your general practitioner or to go to anyone really and actually call for help is sort of looked down upon maybe? Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's still a lot of stigma um, within kind of Afro-Caribbean communities, within, uh, you know, uh, Indian communities. Uh, I do a lot of work um, or lots of the patients we cover, uh, the areas we cover have, have got a lot of Bangladeshi uh, patients in and there's a massive massive stigma yeah um, uh, amongst them with regard to mental illness it's like a massive thing it's very very difficult yeah. and often it will be kind of somatized it will be kind of it will be physical symptoms yeah um, so lots of my colleagues that work in uh, GI medicine so yeah. gastrointestinal medicine yeah. will often see people kind of coming convinced they have some sort of you know bowel problem and actually it's a manifestation of their distress of their depression of their yeah. anxiety um, I mean, it's a very sort of common. I remember when I worked in A&E, you'd often get um, patients from ethnic minorities becoming describing kind of all over body pain, pain all and, over. They, and there would be often yeah. like this, often typically a kind of slightly older woman who would be there, and she'd just repeat it again, all over body pain, doctor, all over body, body mm. pain, and and there would be the whole family would be around them, and I remember sort of because I did anthropology when I was at medical school, and I remember sort of like thinking it's really interesting from an anthropological perspective how this this one person maybe who feels kind of lost or forgotten within the family is now mobilised everybody around her, and suddenly it's become quite powerful because of use, using medicine and using this kind of you know, this manifestation, whereas maybe she was saying, I feel depressed or I feel, you know, unloved or I feel anxious or whatever, um, it wouldn't mobilize people in the same way. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because certainly from an A&E point of view, we need to like uh, determine whether this is, uh, has got a psychological element to it before excluding anything like, you know, an organic cause. And uh, we had a, a friend of mine come on um, who's a gastroenterologist and she specializes in functional uh, gut disorders. Oh, yeah. So, you know, functional dyspepsia, functional diarrhea, uh, IBS, one of the biggest ones that everyone knows about, um, and how breathing could be one of the, uh, in, uh, uh, one of the interventions that could help with a whole bunch of other things. And you think about breathing, the, the fundamental thing that we do as humans, um, as well as eating, but uh, um, that has a plethora of effects on our physiology, mm. you know, on our gut symptoms and our um, obviously oxygenation levels, our brain volitional breathing is a part of like a meditative techniques and how that could have a, an impact on our psychology as well. Yeah. I find it fascinating, but it's such a complicated topic because they'll often, you know, come in, particularly as a general practitioner, convinced that this is a physical problem and to even uh, bring up the topic of it being perhaps related to stress or, you know, um, poor sleep or anything like that, mm. it's, it's a really, really difficult topic. Yeah, because, because I think it feeds into the kind of this idea of like the stigma that, that is attached to mental illness of like it's not real, it's all in the mind, these kind of you know, derogatory ideas around, you know, we're, you know, I, I want a proper illness, I don't want something that's kind of, you know, me just being a bit crazy. Yeah. Um, and it actually kind of feeds into that whole idea around mental illness isn't real illness. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I feel very, really strongly about that, really passionate about it. And of course, by the time patients come to me, yeah. often they've already had a level of, had of, of acceptance yeah. of it and they kind of understand it. But I think it's very hard for GPs because they're often the ones that have to start that conversation. It's easier for me because I can, you know, by the time they've got to see me, it's all being discussed. Yeah. But for GPs, they have to broach it often and it's very, very hard to do. Yeah, it's a tough topic. And plus, you know, you never want to be that uh, practitioner, whether you're in primary care, secondary care, who misses something, who of misses course. something big, yeah. you know. There are lots of random symptoms associated with uh, you know, cancer and, and even even your traditional sort of like cardiovascular issues, gut issues, that they can present in multiple ways. 
um, and often, often detaching yourself from that as a practitioner is quite hard because mm. of we're, we're practicing quite litigation heavy medicine yeah. I feel like yeah, yeah. In defensive medicine very defensive um, we're, we're sort of going the way of the Americans I feel which is a, a probably a bad way to go <laughs> yeah well I think it's sad because then it becomes not about the patient exactly. and it becomes about you not wanting to get sued absolutely and that's kind of yeah. to me is quite that's not really how it should it's be it's quite upsetting that, yeah it? yeah yeah um, but anyway, <laughs> do you want to end on that topic? <laughs> I think it's like nice, little bunnies or something. Yeah, yeah. about little rabbits. Yeah. Actually, one thing I did want to talk to you about um, is social media and actually yeah. how you feel that um, it, it's impacting, particularly on eating disorders. Um, orthorexia, uh, along with many terms, is something that's recently been coined as the uh, unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a whole bunch of other sort of... Uh, terms around like a similar uh, sort of concept like orthorexia that we have yet to define and we haven't come across yet or do you think we kind of know what the triggers are and we need to just get on with treating and identifying this i mean there is no doubt that social media does play a role mm -hmm. i mean there is just there is no doubt and and you you know you sit in a clinic and i will have you know social media instagram gets brought up mm. in my clinic probably you know a dozen times a day um so i mean there's no doubt that it's playing a role there is a bigger question of but actually if it wasn't for social media w w is it causing this or is it just merely something that people are kind of uh, is is kind of like hanging on to is, is, is it a hook w would it be there anyway um or would it just be or, or is it or is it you know, is, is instagram causing yeah these problems or is it just that it's facilitating them I suppose is a way of putting it um, and I don't know I kind of I think it's easy I suppose we all like doctors everybody likes to think there's just one answer we like you know the bogeyman so we can kind of go oh it's social media yeah. and I kind of think it's probably a bit more complicated than that which is a really tedious answer I'm really sorry no no no, no. <laughs> but it, I just kind of do yeah. and I think that you know I think the people that now you know say well you know I my email sort of started when I started looking at Instagram posts it, there would have been something else possibly mm. um, for a lot of those patients not all of them I suppose what I don't like about uh, social media is the way that it's removed from context so we have had numerous patients within our service who have incredibly large social media followings mm. and they are posting about food mm. and they have an eating disorder they are not eating what they are posting mm -hmm. and we know that they are then you know binging on all sorts of things and making themselves sick and that they are really tormented really overwhelmed by their eating disorder and yet you look on their social media and you would have no clue and you would follow what they, they are recommending mm -hmm. and I sit there thinking there is you know it's almost like a kind of public health intervention that needs to happen to say actually nobody should be listening to these people because they are actually mentally unwell with regard to food so you should not be taking their advice on food and they're not even doing what you think they're doing they're not even following this mm -hmm. um, and it's really difficult and we've had lots of kind of ethical issues within our service of like do we intervene what do we do how do we kind of protect the public from uh, from this? Because actually, you know, it's they're they're promoting something that's not even real. Um, and I suppose that's what I don't like about it. Um, I don't like the fact that lots of people think it's normal, for example, to have a, a thigh gap, mm -hmm. which is this kind of yeah. gap at the, mm -hmm. the, the the top of your thighs. Mm -hmm. um, so when you have your legs closed, you can still see space through them. Yeah. That is not normal. Mm -hmm. It is not. It is. It happens in this very small minority of people who just anatomically 
of variants. Mm -hmm. You know, they are, as I say to my patients, they're just genetic freaks. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in a nice way, but they just are. <laughs> and you are not. And that's okay. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, and it's, and I want them to sort of celebrate their body. And yet they are constantly being bombarded with these images of kind of extraordinary yeah, people. Yeah. And it's like sitting there watching Wimbledon and yeah. then beat yourself up because you can't play tennis can't like that. So. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but those people yeah. are extraordinary. Yeah. You know, they are, that is why they're on television doing Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, if, that, if you're going to put that as where you're aiming for, you're inevitably going to be really disappointed. Mm. And that's how I feel about sort of social media is it kind of gives this very false impression of what life is like. It sets up unrealistic expectations. Mm. And I think that is a sad thing. And you know, what I want to see on social media is people going like, sat here and eating three biscuits and stared out the window <laughs> for an hour and have a photo of that. Because that is the reality of like life. Absolutely. And yeah. not, you know, kind of everyone sort of skipping around in their latest kind of Gucci trainers yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, it's just, it's not real. Mm. And and that's what I kind of feel sad about. And that's what I don't like about, about social media. I do think there's positive things. I love the way that it kind of can connect people mm. and people often from kind of very diverse communities kind of can learn more about one another and so on and so on and uh, you know kind of people kind of in far-flung part of the world yeah, can kind yeah, of get their yeah. news out and stuff. so I think there's loads of potential and loads of positive sides of it but as always unfortunately with human nature yeah. there's also big negative things that come out absolutely and, yeah with any tool I think there's definitely going to be negatives that come out and I think there's so many parallels between uh, an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating um, and monetary attainment and wealth and you know tr p people posting pictures of them traveling all the time these amazing exotic locations sometimes that can compound the feeling of inadequacy in yourself absolutely and as a doctor as well and this is speaking from a personal point of view you know, being on social media and talking about healthy eating and actually how I want people to live healthy happier lives using food and lifestyle um, it puts me in a bit of a disposition because I want to reflect the normal tendencies of, of what I do when I go to Amy, and that's why I'm always posting like the jelly babies that we have and like you know um, uh, Amy wards and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but I also want to educate people on why food is one of the most important health interventions. And in an era where everyone is scrutinizing exactly what you say, exactly how you say it, it's very hard to communicate a nuanced subject in sixty characters yeah. or a small comment post and stuff. And you've got to look at the totality of what people are, are, are putting out there. Um, it's, it's very hard. It's a, it's a, a, a very aggressive uh, place to be, I think, social yeah. media sometimes. I mean, that's part of the reason why I kind of don't really engage with social yeah. media particularly, yeah, yeah. because I kind of feel, you know, obviously I'm very interested in other people's mental health. I'm always interested in my own mental health. And I sometimes find it's not a healthy place to be from a mental health perspective mm. because you can feel very easily attacked or very inferior. Mm. Or, you know, I, I, I quite like not being on social media. Yeah. I'm on Twitter, which I very rarely sort of engage with particularly. Twitter, Twitter's I, pretty aggressive. I like it. But, then, but I would say I'm kind of quite passive on Twitter. So I, I read stuff, so I read the news. But I've set my settings so that unless I follow somebody and they follow me, I can't see what they're saying gotcha. about me. Mm -hmm. So actually, you know, and that's so mostly it's kind of friends, and that might not be friends in real life. It might yeah. just be friends that I've made over Twitter. But but I like them enough that I want to hear what they're saying, and they can like me enough that they want to hear what I'm saying. So that's fine. I don't mind that. But everybody else, I don't see. So if anybody's kind of yeah. getting angry about angry to me or anything, I can't I can't see it. Because Max Pemberton, he I didn't think... properly represent the, the female anatomy. In his <laughs> but book. It's, it's really interesting, and often people will take just one very small thing and they get very, very upset about yeah, it. Yeah. And I just think, oh, it's like that, um, you had the new um, Taylor Swift song. No, <laughs> you no need I, to calm I, do, down. I do like Tay-Tay, but. <laughs> you, you need to calm down. And I kind of think, it's down. about okay, social right, media. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I think about it. I'm just like, wow, everyone just needs to calm down. Yeah. It's okay, like, jeez. 
Let's all be happy. Taylor's pretty, she's pretty wise, isn't I she? I love her, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you. Honestly, I would marry song? her. Well, I really like the current one. This one oh, is okay, amazing. This one, okay, yeah, I can't believe I haven't heard it. It's, 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 it's had 120 million uh, oh listens or something. God, I, I just noticed it. I was just on my way here. Really? Okay, but was it all you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was my favourite song is 22. I know it's, it's hard for me to admit that, but I really like 22. I think, I think she's, she's, I think she's underrated. Yeah. yeah I think no, she is. I would, I would quite happily marry her. I'd be very happy He'd be devastated, but. It's very interesting to observe, I think, because even if you're trying to put out good content, um, people will misinterpret that yeah. and then that will spiral out of control almost like willfully this is what I think is yes. interesting about it yes. it's almost like people want to be angry and I, and I think that so I've tried to think about this from a psychiatry sort of point mm. of view and I think that actually a lot of people are very angry for a whole variety of complicated social reasons yeah. that actually sometimes the world is a really hard place you know yeah. even living in the UK in you know 2019 it's still really hard for a lot of people and people all for a variety of reasons feel very dispossessed very disengaged feel kind of society doesn't isn't offering them something and they have this kind of rage mm. and they are looking for somebody or something to direct it towards mm. and sometimes it happens to be you that sort of wanders in in front of that um and so i try to never particularly take it personally mm. um when it does and i just kind of sit there and think i'm just going to be really happy yeah. and i've got a couple of things that i do sort of very mindfully um to kind of keep myself really happy and so Please one of them is <laughs> honestly it's really b- banal no, but one of them and it really is like, honestly if you just think about it, it makes you kind of all relax <laughs> is that every thursday so on a wednesday i have to start really really late writing my uh-huh. column and then on a thursday i have a very very busy day and it's uh-huh. very kind of complicated at work and i have a, a complex patient i have to see in the morning to have an assessment slot so they've often been waiting for a very long time and it's kind of you know it's, it's, it requires a lot of my thought and then i have to then go and i do uh, i work for a like, little day program uh, so I have to go and do the wall down for that, and everything's quite stressful. So kind of Wednesday into Thursday has been quite stressful. Uh-huh. And so then on a Thursday evening, I leave work and I go to Sainsbury's home base. Okay. And I genuinely, I'm often followed by the security because I think they think, who is this guy? He's here every, every Thursday evening for about three hours. And I walk around Sainsbury's home base and I almost always buy a houseplant because uh-huh. I really love houseplants. And yeah. I've done two things in my life is that I really love houseplants and I'm really bad at looking after houseplants. Yeah. So those two kind of combine. The, the existence of my houseplant collection. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not bad. It's actually a very nice little pot. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and, um, and so, so luckily, just, I, I think this sort of, it coincides just enough that I kill plants at the same rate that I can kind of buy them at. So it gotcha. kind of, okay, it's yeah. never quite a sort of jungle. It's like, as I'm throwing one out once a week, I kind of bring one in. Um, and so I'll kind of go around and I'll like often buy some house plants and I'll go and look outside and look at lawnmowers. I haven't got a garden. Yeah, yeah. But I just like, I like to look at the lawnmowers and just, it's really sort of mindful and peaceful. It sounds a bit odd. No, no, no. I, but it's I, really lovely. I, I really enjoy it. I totally understand that because when you're in that environment, I bet you can smell the yeah. smells of it at the moment, that sort of like uh, the soil and the plants themselves yeah. and stuff. There's a really interesting, I've mentioned it so many times in the podcast, it's called Your Brain on Nature. It's actually written by two psychiatrists. Oh, okay. And it's basically all about um, forest bathing. I mean, the Japanese art of forest bathing is called Shiring yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Kanju, I think it is. Um, and you're essentially breathing in a lot of the volatile chemicals from the plants themselves that are naturally mood enhancing and anti-inflammatory. There's obviously the environment, the scenery that you're in as well, which is very relaxing. And there have been studies looking at uh, the immune effects as well, like looking at natural killer cells, as well as your heart rate variability and all these different things. Yeah. Like actually demonstrate, you know, walking in your park, walking yes. through your do you, know there was, do you know about this really fascinating study that was done in the 1970s? In, I think it was something like Pennsylvania State, Univers- uh-huh. um, State Prison, Pens- something like oh, this. Yeah, it's somewhere yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And, um, 
And they, the, the way, just, just randomly, the way that the prison was built, mm. half of the prisoners on one side looked out onto just literally a brick wall. It was mm. nothing. And on the other half looked out over onto, onto a parkland. And some kind of, you know, clever person thought, I wonder what the different rates of mental illness are of the people that have got all their windows looking out onto a brick wall versus yes. onto a park. It's kind of, it's a really, one of those really classic, famous yes. Um, yeah. sort of studies and I think there was a guy called Sam Etherington who was this professor I think he's still alive now he's still a professor um, of like general practice and stuff I think he lives over in East London and he had this little thing about kind of getting people to do gardening and yeah. stuff yeah, based yeah. on this study yeah. because it showed that the people who were looking out on the brick wall had significantly higher rates of mental illness compared mm. to those that were looking out um, onto the parkland even while you account for kind of you know variables like age and so yeah. on and so on yeah, yeah. Um, and like length of prison sentence mm. so there was clearly something about just literally looking out not even being able to walk in it but just looking out onto greenery and yeah. grass and yeah. sort of nature and so that's kind of how I feel when I go around saying it's home base because I kind of like you know you go outside and there's like all these plants and I, you know and I don't even know a great deal about plants because yeah. I sit there thinking oh wow if I had a garden I'd have this and this and maybe yeah. I'd do this and this is what it'd look like and, yeah. and it's all you know like a little I don't know it's very, very sort of meditative and yeah. then um, and and then, and then I go home <laughs> with, with my house plant that I buy. <laughs> and then I'm thinking it's going to die soon. <laughs> I, I, I totally get that. And I think that, you know, there are some other studies looking at cognition as well, often looking at an environment, an urban environment on the TV screen and uh, a rural sort of lush green mm. environment, again, on a TV screen. And then they do some, um, some IQ-based tests and stuff. And they found that there was that significant difference in oh. IQ just from that as well. So there's something uh, almost like evolutionary based in how we are meant to interact with our environment and what impact that can have on our brain function as yeah. well. So from the human body, <laughs> straight to eating disorders, to walking around a home base, um, I think this is an amazing book. I can't wait for children all over the country to get this and parents as well. So um, I really commend you for writing this and thank you so much for coming in. Brilliant. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. What a pleasure it was to chat and to cook for Dr. Max. Like I said, you can check out the recipe on the Doctor's Kitchen YouTube channel. Make sure you check out Dr. Max's book. All the socials and links are on thedoctorskitchen.com and you can find all of this information and more at thedoctorskitchen.com. Subscribe to the newsletter for weekly science-based recipes, content and much more to help you live the healthiest, happiest life. Give us a five-star rating if you like this pod. It really does help spread the love and the message. Tweet us at doctors underscore kitchen. Check out Instagram, YouTube and of course, get a copy of Dr. Max's book, The Marvelous Adventures of Being Human. See you next time. Thank you.